Welcome to Steady Labs, where we explore all things crypto, finance, and more. I'm your host, Jesse Eckel, and today on the podcast, we have Jala and Wardle from Olympus DAO, and we're talking about why crypto needs a native decentralized reserve currency. This episode starts out with us diving a little bit into like the background of uh, Jala and Wardle and how they got involved with Olympus. Uh, we also talk a little bit about DAOs and just how interesting they are and you know maybe the future of DAOs and, and how they function. Um, but then we jump into the concept of Olympus and why we need a decentralized reserve currency and the differences between something like ohm and a stable coin um it, it's really really interesting conversation we talk a lot about olympus specifically and like the range bound stability mechanism and like the future of their project i didn't intend as much to talk about them specifically it's just kind of the conversation went that way um but the overall focus is a, a decentralized native reserve asset for crypto how that's done the way that that looks and the approach that olympus is taking to try to realize that vision and make that happen. Uh, and we're going to get to all of that in just a second. But before we do, let's talk about some of these amazing sponsors that make this episode possible. Perpetual Protocol is the largest on-chain perpetual trading exchange on Optimism with up to 10x leverage. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, Perp offers a simple and intuitive UX with 18 different crypto markets, including Bitcoin, ETH, and Doge to trade with your non-custodial wallet making perp a great place for all to explore the world of DeFi. perp also offers vault products for all levels of users allowing you to earn high returns with extremely low risk perp simplifies on-chain arbitrage strategy into a vault and automates profit back to all depositors it's delta neutral transparent and fully on chain alpha is no longer exclusive to just those who can build bots but is now accessible to everyone turn up the heat on your crypto game with perpetual protocol go to perp.com today to start trading and earning crypto. All right, we have Jala and Wardle from Olympus DAO on the podcast today. Olympus is a widely known project that few people understand. At the height of the bull market, they were valued close to $4 billion and today hold a treasury of assets valued at $240 million. How's it going, guys? Great. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Well, so just to jump right into it, can you guys, I guess, give us a little background about who you two are and how you relate uh, to Olympus. Like, how, how do you guys connect in with Olympus now? Yeah, I'll, I'll get started. So um, I was uh, active in multiple DeFi projects before Olympus, but um, I saw Fiscantes, who's also like a big uh, Twitter uh, influencer, I would say, tweet about um, opportunity that he saw uh, with regards to Olympus, that that you should look out for what this guy Zeus was building. I think Chala had a similar... Um, similar introduction to, to the project uh we both joined the the discord and um we also got into the the whitelist of the of the first distribution of the tokens which was nice and we uh, i personally got got very involved um so much to the point that i lived in the discord basically and then susan apollo saw this and made me a community manager after which i had a lot of different roles within the DAO itself um and right now i'm a part of the uh, Council of uh, Olympus, which is like this overseeing, um, yeah, leadership uh, thing that we have within the DAO. Yeah, so so Wurzel touched on the origin story. Um, so yeah, I, I joined, you know, just as a community member um, off the bat, I guess pre pre launch, um, was just fascinated by the project. Um, I guess pulled in by the community, uh, and over time just got more and more involved, helping out. Um, to the point where right around this time last year, I started to focus on it, you know, um, 
more or less on a, on a full-time basis in a variety of different capacities. So, you know, on partnerships, helping out on policy and product, now focusing a lot on the treasury side, helping like set up those frameworks. And so kind of, um, yeah, helping out wherever I can. Got it. Got it. And I guess maybe it's important for maybe somebody who's listening, who's not familiar with uh, the crypto space to understand like what a DAO or like how a DAO operates, like how, um, you know, it's such a different structure than the typical, you know, business structure or, or corporate structure. So can one of you guys kind of explain just kind of briefly, like how, how does the DAO operate? Like how, how does Olympus run on this DAO model? Yeah, I think this is a, a very important point. A lot of people call themselves a DAO and the definition of a DAO is, is very uh, vague still. So sometimes people refer to a DAO as a community. Um, sometimes it is basically all the token holders. With Olympus, it's indeed everyone that, that holds OM. But the DAO itself, we often also refer to as the, as the body of, of all the contributors towards the, the protocol. So um, in the beginning, we were... Yeah, it, it was such a novel concept that I think at one point 170 people were contributing and getting actually compensated for their contribution. Um, of course, due to the market conditions and so on, we um, we also saw that it was needed to slim that down a bit. So I think right now there are around 30 people working um, for Olympus, of which 22, I think, full time um, in a sort of structure that is still very open. So we publish... Uh, quarterly reports, we do community calls, DAO calls, that sort of stuff, um, but also with uh, separate teams for engineering, for marketing, and so on. And then to to make it not too flat, because a flat organization that's decentralized across the world, right, with different cultures can can create some uh, some friction. We have then that, that council that also um, where we're both part of that, that oversees a bit more strategic vision, sets budgets, and that sort of stuff. Uh, but within that, we have uh, a lot of contributors that are now um, around for more than uh, a year at this point. Yeah, I would just co comment there that I think it's really cool how this team organically, not really a team, right? Like this group of contributors coalesced around the original founding team, right? So this is, you know, 20 plus people that, you know, many of which were just, you know, interested in the project or bought some home in, in 2021 or just part of the community um, who were, you know, kind of uh, seized by this concept and wanted to contribute in a certain way and now have dedicated their time um, to helping to uh, see the vision built out. Um, so really cool how this came together in a really organic way. Yeah, it, it is really interesting, too, because I don't think, especially like in modern times or even historically, people aren't used to a decentralized structure of an organization and how that operates or how that even can operate. And I was talking to somebody else about this um, on, on a different podcast episode. And like, why historically have we not had more decentralization? Um, because it does seem like such a net positive and for so many different things. And I, the kind of the conclusion we came to was essentially uh, because before modern times, we haven't had the ability to basically collaborate um, in a decentralized manner uh, without a centralized entity because uh, we didn't have the internet and the, the, the means of communication and organization that we do today. And so it's really interesting to see these structures start to kind of come to life and evolve. And I, I don't really think anyone knows like how efficient they can get. And I, I think we kind of assume, uh, you know, a centralized structure would be more efficient than a decentralized one. Uh, but you guys are kind of testing the bounds of that and kind of seeing like, is, is that accurate? You know, like, can you be decentralized and um, build a more efficient structure uh, than maybe a centralized uh, corporate body can. Well, uh, I was just going to I was going to comment. Oh. I think that's kind of the story of crypto at large, right? I think that um, it's really difficult to build decentralized systems, 
right? I think you have distributed work, um, right? But to build decentralized systems, um, you need um, like aligned economic incentives across the board. And so that's really the story of crypto. I'm not sure it's more efficient. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think that, you know, in many ways, decentralization is a trade-off between efficiency and, and like, you know, really um, uh, anti-fragility and um, security, right? And so that's, I think, the inherent tension in crypto. Yeah, you know, I think, I think that it could potentially, I wasn't saying that it is more efficient. I, I think there is a, a potential that it, it could be, though. Um, just because if you think about a centralized structure, right, like uh, people kind of pass ownership and responsibility up the line uh, to the top. And so um, that creates a lot of inefficiencies, uh, in my opinion. And with a decentralized structure, each individual carries a certain weight of ownership, um, which I think could add, could potentially add to efficiency if we can get it right. And that was more what I was saying. Um, but to, to kind of pull it back a little bit, so let's, let's talk about the mission of Olympus. Um, I, I do want to get into like, uh, you know, this, this episode is more about crypto native, res uh, crypto native reserve asset and why crypto needs it. But I think really to understand that we got to talk about the mission of Olympus and what you guys are trying to build. Um, you guys say you're, you're the, you want to be the reserve currency for all of crypto. How does that work? Like, what does that mean? Sure. I, I can take a stab at this. So. Um, yeah, Olympus is building Ohm, which is uh, the goal is to be like a, a decentralized reserve currency. Um, and I think what sets it apart or what we like hope sets it apart is that uh, it is uh, backed by assets, right? So there's a treasury that helps to ensure liquidity in the market ensure, and like hope, hopefully ensure stability over the long term. Um, but is not back to any any other not, sorry is not uh, pegged to any other asset um, whether that be fiat or another crypto and so kind of being this like, independent unit of account right um, that is designed for predictability and stability. Got it. And I wanted to give a quick disclaimer. I meant to say this earlier and I forgot. I personally own a good amount of Ohm, and so um, that's the native token of Olympus DAO. Just want to give that disclaimer. We're talking about Olympus, and uh, I think you know it's, it's definitely good to say those things out front or up front. I have a disclosure section in the show notes or in the description of the YouTube video if you guys want to check that out. Uh, but I want to jump into why does crypto need a crypto native reserve asset? Like, why is that something? We have stable coins, we have uh, Bitcoin and ETH. And, like, why do we need a, a crypto native? Uh, stable reserve asset. What's what's the purpose behind that? There are many many reasons. I would say the ma the main one is of course that that the dollar is so dominant today. But you can hear from my accent maybe, like I'm not living in the United States. I'm from another uh, from another part of the world, and and the dollar for me doesn't mean much, right? It's tied to the U.S. economy. Um, U.S. citizens can vote for. Uh, the people in charge that appoint actually the people on the Federal uh, Reserve. So also there I don't have any influence in, and even U.S. citizens don't have much influence in. Um, it's tied to that economy. It doesn't really make sense to have such a, a new economy being tied to a currency from just one particular uh, uh, like a sovereign state in the world uh, with also a completely different economy, I would say. That's, that's one. For example, um, we also need much more a decentralized view on that. So we need to try to step away a bit from looking at everything uh, in, in dollars, DeFi-wise. Of course, I think we'll touch upon this maybe later, but we still to this day have a lot of backing that's still in dollars, but also there we need to look at, at what we can do. Uh, but next to this, also, you want to benefit from the growth, right? So if you hold a dollar now, today you have inflation that is rampant and you, you basically, um, yeah, your dollars are worth less and less every single day. 
uh, but you want to actually capture part of that inflation, part of that growth. And if you believe in a system like DeFi, that DeFi will be big and maybe live in a hybrid world together with traditional finance, you also want to capture a part of that growth of DeFi. And I think uh, a, a stable coin or or a currency more or better uh, that, that works together with DeFi and captures part of that growth is an interesting aspect, which uh, it would make more sense to hold debt as opposed to then dollars uh, in, in your in your DeFi wallets. And you're, you're basically saying that like Olympus or Ohm, uh, that captures, not only is it a stable asset, but it also gets to benefit from the upside growth of DeFi. That's what you're saying? Exactly. So so imagine that for ex when, when the internet was, was launched, right? If you had uh, a currency that was native to the internet, right? Where you, you bought your things on Amazon or you paid uh, advertisements on Google. I'm just saying some things, but imagine that there was a currency that was tied to that growth of the internet. Uh, that would have been massive. I remember Zeus telling me this uh, back in the day and it immediately clicked with me that it, it makes a lot of sense for a, an economy that is so, uh, it's so much potential to, to grow and scale in, in many different areas to have its own currency that is also tied to the growth of it as opposed to the growth of, as I said, like one particular economy somewhere in the world. Yeah, I would just add on, on the flip side, um, right? You have, so uh, you have dollars or, state, or dollar peg stable coins or any fiat peg stable coins on one hand and then uh, cryptocurrencies on the other. So using Bitcoin as probably like the preeminent example, um, Bitcoin originally, I think the original vision, right, was peer -to -peer, a peer-to-peer -peer cash system. Um, and over time, what the narrative or just how it's been valued by the market has changed, um, where it's obviously been extremely volatile over time um, and is perhaps less useful as like a medium of exchange or unit of account or the things like usually like you see as the currency being useful for and maybe i think the narrative is moving towards like more of a store of value and i think many people believe that um that will continue right and maybe because there is no backing or intrinsic value that it will continue and like the nature of its tokenomics or token economics are such that it will always continue to be somewhat volatile um, and more useful as a store of value and so that's how we view olympus and ohm slotting in we want to make that contribution to the market. Got it. Okay, but but still, like uh, you know, say I'm, I'm like, hey, I want to benefit from the rise of crypto and DeFi. So maybe I buy a little bit of ETH, I buy a little bit of Bitcoin, and I I also have some money in stables. Do you do you feel like I, I, do you feel like there's maybe more of a um, when, when we when we talk about the concept of a decentralized reserve asset, but versus a stable coin, right? Um, why? Well, I am getting the feeling lately that stable coins are not going to cut it as far as, um, you know, DeFi goes, especially when you look at like Circle and what happened with the DPEG and, and you look at, um, you, you know, uh, the idea of CBDCs or the idea that maybe Circle could uh, censor transactions. So maybe can we go into like some of the deeper, deeper reasons to have a decentralized stable asset um, versus, yep. you know, a dollar back stable coin? Can, can, can you maybe tell me why you would hold uh, like stable coins in your wallet, right? It is probably to end, uh, to have some dry powder to enter interesting opportunities within DeFi. I would say you want to maybe swap it, you want to LP it, you want to maybe buy NFTs with it, right? You want to use it and you want to hold it in a stable coin because you can be quite certain that it will hold relatively its value for a certain amount of time. So I would think of Ohm as a better version of that, where... You can hold Ohm as well, and you can use that to enter interesting opportunities within uh, within DeFi as well. So, for example, now there's a very interesting, I think, 20-30% on 
on some own pools that you can can have. You can even now buy some NFTs with it on, on Barra chain and that sort of stuff. Um, and we want to expand that. So it will make then sense more in the future to not just hold uh, stable coins, which are sitting there and are diluting, but actually hold Ohm, where you know that it, the, the value of it, and we'll touch upon this later, I hope, is, is relatively protected and the volatility is, is relatively low, uh, while still having the ability of it to appreciate and value over a longer period of time. It won't uh, 40x like we've seen in the past, but it won't, uh, it won't have a lot of a downside as well. It's pretty protected because of the treasury that you mentioned in the beginning. On top of that, again, also the regulatory side where you said the decentralization aspect is, is, is huge. We saw with USDC, which everyone, I think, held in their wallet, uh, or at least some, some version of it, right? Uh, everyone thought it was protected, but then just one thing needs to happen to a very fragile banking system. Uh, and in, in the entire system also collapses. So we saw um, a lot of exploits happening because of this, a lot of protocols that were hurt by this. So the decentralization port should give extra security and extra peace of mind uh, for all these Black Swan events uh, that could happen to a more centralized uh, alternative. Yeah, I, I think certainly like the circle thing puts in stark relief, or really not, not circle specifically, but um, some of the banking issues in the US and the reliance of stable coins right, on some of these real world assets, including USDC, puts in stark relief. Um, the the challenges of scaling stable coins um, without like a real reliance on real world assets um, and in a permissionless and decentralized way. Um, I think I think people have always seen that as the case, and I but I really think this like this uh, most recent episode brought that to the fore. Um, and today, Olympus is 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 somewhat reliant on some of those stable coins as well. But um, you know, we hope over time to migrate away from that and to I think we like based on the monetary policy and the flexibility that we have that we can more easily move away from that into a more decentralized backing and therefore less reliance um, on real world assets um, and tethering to the current system. Yeah, because I I think you hit on it right there because that's like one of the big issues today with stable coins is they are real they're heavily reliant on the traditional finance system. And so um, the problem is, like, in crypto, we do need a stable asset. We do need a place that we can stably store our money. Like, there's a, a very strong use case for that. Um, but, you know, what, what happens when the government decides they don't like crypto? They want to, you know, uh, shut down, uh, you know, uh, this bank or that bank or sh shut off access to these stable coins uh, so that, you know, they no longer function in the way that they're intended. Uh, I think a lot of us started thinking about that when, uh, you know, USDC, with everything happening with USDC, uh, you know, we were we were wondering like what what does DeFi look without USDC? What does DeFi look without stable look like without stable coins? And so um, and how do we fix it so that you know this can't happen again? And in my opinion, I, I think Olympus or Ohm is an answer to that uh, very question. I think other people have been trying to find an answer to this question. Um, when you look at UST. Uh, that was an algorithmic stable coin. That was a, a a big experiment in the crypto space where they tried backing it with nothing, and it was the same. Like it's the same goal. Like a lot of people are working towards the same goal of how do we create a decentralized stable currency. That was just a really bad way to do it. Um, but you guys seem to have hit this really sweet spot where you're like you have a a very much backed stable currency. Um, 
but it's it's not just backed by dollars or it's not just backed by real world assets but you guys do have a lot of uh your treasury in stables um and, and a lot of those stables are just us dollar stables do you guys ever have any plans of like uh, or have you ever thought about like hey you know maybe mixing things up where maybe some's backed by uh the swiss franc or like you know what i mean having like a variety of stable assets or i, I think like more that? so um the plan would be to just try to decentralize the backing as much as possible over time. So just for context, I think, so originally, right, um, Olympus was all stable coins, right? So it's just USDC, sorry, die and fracks. Um, and today we're at around a mix of 80-20, like stable and more volatile assets. So like mostly ETH on the volatile side, and then some what we call like strategic assets for liquidity, like convex and aura, et cetera. Um, so we've come a long way already. We're, we're, we, we, we want to be patient, but um, also like want to make sure to continue to progress with that over time. And um, the treasury team is looking to make recommendations to the community to increase that that um, mix of like more volatile or decentralized assets um, in the near term, with like a goal to increase that pretty significantly, like over the midterm. Got it. Got it. And uh, again, have you thought about like with the stable assets specifically? moving away from a world where everything's denominated in dollars, you know, like die, um, fracks, uh, like you mentioned. And, um, I, I'm just curious because I, it seems to me like, why don't we have a stable currency that's a basket of different world currencies versus everything being in us dollars? Yeah. I, I think that people are working on that. Right. So part of it is that, um, you know, there isn't a ton of that available on chain today. I know there are a lot of talented teams that are working on it. Um, whether that's euro back stable coins um, or others, I think there was a recently a recent like Swiss franc stable coin that was introduced. I know there are teams working in Latin America on some stable coins like pegged to the currencies there, um, and then in Asia as well. So I think as those like begin to proliferate and grow, um, we can definitely take a look at that. So it's mostly it's mostly like uh, just the way that the market's gone is is they've created a lot of stable coins, a lot of liquidity in U.S. dollars. And it's only now kind of that we're we're noticing some of the fragility of that uh, that teams are really springing to action saying hey we need to to mix this up yeah i, I would say so also on top of that we are still a very nascent industry right uh, DeFi summer was summer of 2020 we're in 2023 now so a lot of the infrastructure to achieve our vision has yet to be built or has been built now and financed over the past year with all these big vc rounds right um, but only now we see some alternatives coming to the forefront that are not these DeFi blue chips, but actual innovations on top of it uh, that, that we can start to use. So, for example, LUSD is a very good example here. That is a very good uh, stablecoin that is fully decentralized. However, they also have their issues with liquidity. I think we're one of the largest holders of LUSD or the largest holders of LUSD in, in DeFi. But also for us, we cannot scale further into that because there would be also some issues with regards to liquidity and um, and, and and just having uh, so much as a sole holder um, as well. So I think over time there are more options will become present um, that we that we can start to use to diversify the treasury uh, on top of it. Well, one of my thesis is when it comes to like because uh, I've really sat down and just thought a lot about specifically a reserve asset for crypto because originally the history of crypto bitcoin was a reserve asset um i'm not sure were you guys around back in 2017 2016 
Yep. Yes, sir. So uh, if you remember back then, everything was denominated in Bitcoin. Like uh, the trading pair for everything was Bitcoin slash whatever it was. And so uh, anytime like there was a sell off of alts, Bitcoin rose. It went up in value because it was sold off into Bitcoin. Um, and I remember that. And then I remember, you know, Tether came out and we had a stable coin. And it was like, whoa, this is like a, a weird new concept. And now stable coins just kind of dominate the space. Um, but like I, I've really thought about like the the need for like a reserve asset, not only in crypto, but really if you think about it, like in the world, because you know we have this big banking crisis. All these banks, you know, they hold U.S. dollars. They really have no choice. They're like um, they're they're stuck with U.S. dollars, right? Because there really isn't a great alternative to the U.S. dollar. Um, but I think the whole world could benefit from a reserve asset that's not tied to any government or country, uh, like a neutral reserve asset uh, that's crypto native that, that any com- country, when they want to buy oil or they want to buy goods or resources, they can transact in. What are your thoughts on that? And do you see a future potential or, or one day where like something like uh, Olympus could be that or maybe it's not Olympus, maybe something on chain, something in crypto could solve that problem? So, yeah, certainly. I think that, you know. Um, that is a very bold vision, right? And kind of like uh, a, a great long-term goal. Um, you know, we are very focused on on you know our native turf of DeFi today, um, but it's certainly possible. You know, um, I think that um, as we continue to grow, um, listen, like would love for that. I, I think that I don't want to frame it as you know necessarily being competitive, right, with any other. Um, whether that's fiat, right? I, th- I, I, I like to think about it as like presenting an alternative that people can opt into, right? And maybe people choose to do that. I think Bitcoin is, is um, on, on the reserve asset side, also has promise in that regard. Um, but again, like has some of the issues that we talked about that maybe Olympus can help to solve. Um, and maybe people end up holding like a basket of these things, right? Um, to serve different purposes. So talk, we talked about like, unbundling right these uses of money right store of value medium of exchange unit of account and so you know i think it's a combination of a bunch of assets that that can fill that fill that void yeah i think uh, a major challenge will also be rerouting people's brains i think even in our industry right where we believe in these values of decentralization and of a bit becoming independent from um governance governments and and and, and central banks i think it's already hard to convey the message of what we're trying to do and people are skeptical of it. Um, so I think there is a, a big uphill battle for us to, to then also do the same thing in, in, in like the real world or, or just in general uh, traditional finance uh, um, as well. So I think more than just a, a technical limit, which I think there is also some, still some issues, I think it's definitely more of a mental and, and cultural thing that, that also a shift that needs to happen on, on that front as well. Yeah, I agree on that. I think that there's obviously uh, just in crypto in general is looked upon very negatively uh, just because most people, they see the headlines, they see all the negative things, the hacks, uh, the meme coins, and, and that's kind of how they view the industry. And they don't really see all the value uh, that's being built underneath. Uh, not yet, because uh, it, it doesn't impact their everyday lives. But when I think about it, like if you really think about like the US dollar and uh, the way that we run our currency, we're kind of like, think of like all the really bad like tokens and projects in the crypto space that are just like you know they're constantly inflating their supply they're they're like rebasing tokens and all these crazy you know things in the crypto space that's kind of what the world's forced to hold and use as a base currency for transacting and it's like a really 
it's just really uh it's a really poor financial environment and we really need something more sound that you know that no one player uh has the ability to debase in that way and that's that's why i really love the concept of um a decentralized reserve asset um I did want to kind of switch up things. Um, so I'm a big proponent of like an open financial system, like what crypto offers. I think that uh, the open market will make financial products, um, you know, versus like the government a thousand times better. So like uh, the, the government, if you if you think about it, they've had the ability to, or they've had control of financial innovation for like all of history. Right. And I think that crypto or, or DeFi it, um, is like the the world's first open global financial system. Um, and so in, in my mind, I think that over time, countries are going to start to adopt this financial system. They're going to start to, I, I don't think it'll be like the US or anything, but I imagine countries like, uh, you know, third world countries, they have a bad financial system. They start, they decide to start over with a uh, open market financial system and that's crypto um and and i think that's going to be like a good financial soil for those countries that's going to allow innovation strong economies good businesses um you know to, to really spring up in your mind give it 50 years do you see a separation of money and state and if so is that a net positive for humanity uh, I'll, I'll start this one um i think i think it's there will be parts of our economy at least that will be separated uh it's inevitable I think there's definitely will be a difference in in types of, um, as you mentioned already, types of countries and in certain economical states that uh, that will have this. As you said, the the um, less less developed uh, countries will probably move to this faster because they are also innovating at a much faster rate than maybe Western countries are at the moment. Um, on top of that, I do think that more. Uh, totalitarian um, governments might not really like what what crypto is doing. Uh, even <laughs> democratic countries, as we see now, uh, are, are trying to to really tie that down. But I also think that over time, people will really take a stand here and say, for example, the CBDCs. Um, that's something that people don't want. They don't want every single transaction to be monitored. Uh, it it can it can really become. A dangerous thing uh, for for maybe some bad actors in the system. So over time, I think people will look for alternatives because there is actually uh, pretty advanced use cases that you can do with crypto. And I I believe that there will be some opportunities in certain parts of the economy. I and I'm skeptical, however, and that's sad because I'm also a bit uh, very much in favor of this. But I think that there will be a lot of headwinds for this uh, and, and people will do whatever they can to to stop this though. So I, I don't think that it will be uh, broadly accepted in 50 years. Yeah, I, so, you know, if I was answering bluntly, I think, you know, do I see in 50 years a separation of money and state? I would say no, um, just being practical, but um, I hope and believe that there will be an alternative to that system, right? So I think that like the promise of crypto to me um, is twofold. One is to provide that alternative like economic system and financial system that people can opt into should they choose. Like you said, like certain whether that's you know um, states or just um, individuals being able to opt into that system um, if they want to opt out of the the um, combination of money and state. Um, and then two, I think that. Crypto can provide even to the existing financial system, like you know, um, 
improvements that can lower the cost of capital um, and increase efficiency by within modern within current financial rails. Um, so I see both of those things as happening. Got it. So part of my reasoning for believing that is that, again, I just it, like imagine I give this example all the time. Imagine the government built like uh, they back in the 70s. They're like, hey, only gov the government can build phones. Uh, there's no, no open market company. No, like free companies can build phones. This is like government technology. Only we are allowed to build phones. And then imagine the phones that we would use today. They would probably be like uh, corded, you know, like 80s phones today like just all you can do is dial and call somebody right the government just in general is really really poor when it comes to innovation and so when you think of financial products and and like the uh, financial innovation and risk taking like um that's that's been primarily again in their hands and so imagine you know like crypto's kind of speed run the history of finance up to this point and now we're kind of pioneering the future of finance and we're having to figure things out and we're, we're actually you know innovating and building and, and coming up with these cool concepts um so part of my thesis is like uh, you know say one third world country does adopt it that uh if the financial system is kind of like the soil a country uh, springs up from, those countries are going to rise to power. And countries like the U.S. with our, our banking system, like you're already seeing the U.S. start to crumble and crack and uh, give it 50 years. And like our power will be greatly diminished because we have such a poor uh, you know, economic situation and poor financial system. And the power of these third world countries, which were a third world country at the time, uh, those they'll rise and, and they'll become powerful because they'll have the next Elon Musk, the next Steve Jobs, like. Like these people in those companies will rise out of those economic systems because money goes where it's treated best. And so that's kind of like it's almost like an evolutionary like, uh, you know, uh, kind of thought process that like it just over time, naturally, um, you know, the strength of the world is going to flow to these places that adopt these open market systems and flee from the places uh, that, you know, choose not to. No, I think that's a very interesting and compelling way to think about it. Um... The framing really of like uh, free, like opening up the financial rails to free market um, will allow those that, that take advantage of it early on, right, to benefit down the road, right? Whether that's 50 years or 25 years or 100 years, who knows? But I think that is a comp that's compelling logic. Got it. Well, okay, going back to a stable coin as uh, like a stable reserve asset for crypto. I think a lot of people probably struggle to understand what is the difference between something like USDC and something like OM. Like, how do they functionally, how do they work different? Sure. I, I don't know how technical we want to get, right? But, um, you know, very simply, like USDC um, is backed one to one with dollars. Um, and um, a user can put a dollar in and mint one USDC. And then if everything's going right, they can then take that USDC and redeem it, um, like for the, for the underlying dollar. Um, and it is hard pegged to that one dollar. Um, um, Olympus works very differently. So there is no peg. Um, and uh, like our version of monetary policy, it was called like, uh, or the initial version is called range bound stability, um, which uses utilizing the Olympus treasury um, attempts to provide liquidity and coax the market into keeping um, ohm within certain ranges. Today, that's like relative to the US dollar. So, um, there is a target price and there's no direct redemptions, but if the price of Ohm drops to a certain threshold below that target price, the treasury will utilize its power to um, coax the market back up 
right, by using its reserves. And if the price goes above that target, the spy certain threshold, uh, the treasury will then um, increase circulation by putting more OM into circulation, thereby pushing the price um, back down towards the target or attempting to, right? At the end of the day, um, the market will do as it pleases. So if the market wants to attempt to overpower the treasury, the treasury will take that really like the, the monetary policy system will take that into account and will allow the market to do so. And then we'll um, reorganize a range around what, what the market wants to set. So you, you allow for stability um, within certain ranges, but also allowing for the market to drive long-term um, like where, where, where the price should be. So it's, it, it's like almost this hybrid of, um, it's a stable asset, but it's not as state. It's not like as, um, stiff maybe as a stable coin. It's not backed indeed. Yeah. So, so keeping a bag is extremely expensive. You alluded to USD earlier in this episode. Um, I think they showed that trying to, uh, keep it back is extremely, extremely expensive. And it's also something that that can be um, that, that can basically wipe you out, right? So if you see a, a stablecoin trading at 0.9, as we saw at USDC, like everyone is losing confidence. If Ohm trades a couple of percentage points lower than it will be trading today, like people know that there is a certain range in which it can can fluctuate, and there is no panic, and there is no really expense to the to the treasury to try to protect this arbitrary peg. So what we always said in the beginning was that it's backed, but not pegged, right? So um, we don't pack something. Uh, and that, that also gives us a lot of opportunity to, to, to use that to our advantage, um, as, as we maybe talk about later as well. It reminds me of, uh, I think it was in Japan. I watched this. It was like a documentary or whatever. And it, it was about this building, this like ancient building that had survived some of the most catastrophic earthquakes on the planet. And it was still standing no problem while all these modern buildings had like completely collapsed. And they were, they were trying to figure out like, why in the world, how in the world does this building not collapse while all these modern buildings were just falling over left and right? They're built out of steel and this thing's built out of wood. And what they figured out was um, the building was built in such a way that when the earth shook, it shook with it. And so it was extremely flexible. And so it was able to absorb a lot of the shock because it wasn't so um, it wasn't so tight. It wasn't so like um, just rooted, you know, and it, that reminds me of kind of your guys' system in that like it's, it's not this hard peg that's like, um, you know, extremely inflexible and eas easily broken. Uh, it's this it's this flexible peg that, you know, as the market shakes it, it just kind of shakes with it. And that you know, removes a lot of that kinetic energy that would otherwise potentially depeg it. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And like, I think, you know, continuing on what Wurzel was saying and, and using that analogy, right, not only can pegs sometimes be just very expensive to maintain, they can also be very dangerous, right, depending on what you're using for backing. And we've seen a few examples of that, where it gives people a false sense of security, right, because there's some idea that, oh, we'll just return to the $1, right. Um, but depending on what you're backed with, that might not be the case. And then um, it can you can have some pretty terrible outcomes yeah yeah and it's such a it's such an interesting place too for you guys because i mean i everyone i talked to i talked about olympus they just remember like you know hundred thousand percent apy like they remember your guys's bootstrapping phase and um you know there, there you guys had this crazy price fluctuations you didn't have range bounce stability you didn't have inverse bonding you didn't have any of these things that you guys you know have kind of innovated into today and so um a lot of people don't understand that you guys are 
you guys are much more like a stable coin than anything else these days, um, <laughs> which is which is kind of crazy because, you know, uh, to go from where you started and kind of how the market viewed you initially to where you guys are today, it's going to be really interesting to see where you guys are tomorrow because, you know, look how far you've come already. Yeah, I think this is indeed a bit of a misconception. And I like how you how you said it, right? The, the bootstrapping phase. That's indeed what it was. Uh, Jalas is a great uh, analogy where we... We're basically like this very nascent, very new young protocol that that was early, that did wild stuff, right? And now we're b growing up a bit. Uh, we have this phase where we introduce range bound stability, and we're having this coming of age type moment where people now will have to recognize that we indeed have now this huge treasury that we can use to to actually indeed stabilize the asset to a certain point and also facilitate interesting partnerships um, as well with 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 that uh, treasury that we have and. Uh, yeah, I think I think the the fact that you mentioned the, the building analogy was also nice. I, I would actually add on top of that that it actually makes the building stronger. So if we have volatility and there is, for example, a big a big dump in the asset, we can buy that back for lower than right now the net asset value is, right? And increase actually the backing per ohm that's out there, making it more stable uh, when everything is is basically super volatile. So I think also in that aspect, uh, it has a bit of a of a looping effect where, um, yeah, that volatility actually makes the protocol stronger. What are some potential use cases you see for something like this? Like, how do you see Olympus or Ohm being used in the future across crypto? Yeah, so so in the near term, right, as I mentioned earlier, I think our go-to-market is very focused on, on DeFi as our native turf, um, just becoming one of the, like, default um, counter-asset pairs um in in um you know um dexes right in the same way that you had mentioned you know, back in 2016 everything was paired against btc just continuing to grow ohm as a default pair and we can utilize the strength of our treasury um to help bootstrap those markets i think like part of the advantage of, of olympus like you alluded to um the treasury strength is part of it and also the flexible monetary policy which allows the treasury to inject liquidity into these markets i think um, will be very apparent in your future working on a bunch of products as it relates to that um, and then so as you become more and more liquid right i think that opens up use cases um, for um, whether that like um, borrowing and lending right you have your deeper liquidity that allows that so like you know more real economic activity in that sense and then over time right um, as people become more comfortable holding it, and as the protocol matures then people will feel more hopefully feel more comfortable holding it right um, as uh, part of their reserves, right? Whether that's protocols or individuals, and spending it uh, like like you would a currency. Um, so that's kind of how we view the, the the game plan. Obsidian Council is my private Patreon where I share my monthly research and joining gets you access to some pretty awesome perks, including the Obsidian Council community, which is a private discord where we work together to try to grow our wealth, improve our strategies, and just in general, get better at this whole thing. Monthly research reports that dive deep into the crypto market, current trends, and projects that I'm looking at going into the next bull run. The Airdrop Guide, a monthly guide devoted to finding the best opportunities in the space. And members recently made anywhere from $700 to $8,000 from the Arbitrum Airdrop. And on top of those things, we have monthly live meetings, yearly in-person events, and more. There's a link in the show notes if you're interested in joining. Can you explain why people or protocols would use ohm as a, a pair for their asset for liquidity sure so as i mentioned like first of all i think the treasury can help to bootstrap liquidity for for um for protocols or individuals um 
to kickstart liquidity. Um, and then just in terms of the asset itself, right? I think that it has some really nice properties um, in that it is kind of sit, sitting in between ETH and stables, right? In the spectrum of liquidity assets. Whereas, you know, um, many DeFi assets are highly correlated with ETH. And so, um, you know, you have this concept of impermanent loss, which is basically like um, divergence loss of assets when you're providing liquidity. Um, it basically raises the cost of capital for, for liquidity providers. Um, and um, that is lower with ETH, but ETH is also more volatile and that drags the price of the asset around, right? On the other side, you have stable coins, um, which are not going to be dragging the price of the count of your asset around, but um, your cost of capital for liquidity providers is much higher because you're going to have much higher divergence loss. Um, and so um, Ohm sits in between that where um, is much more stable, right, um, than ETH, but it's going to be more correlated with the market than stable coins. And so it's, it fits in this really nice place as a liquidity asset. On another note, are there any other projects that are trying to build DeFi native stable assets, kind of like what you guys are doing, or, or maybe a little bit different? Um, any unique approaches that interest you guys? Yeah, so I think the the major example would be Rye, right? Which is also a bit of a floating currency um, backed by by ETH. We we learn a lot from from how they operate, and and it's a very interesting um, design. But they had some issues with with getting sufficient traction. Um, and I think similarly with, with getting their vision across of why is this actually needed. Um, where we have a bit of an advantage, I would say, is that treasury, right? As we say, we, we can actually um, do a lot of these things with, with the 200 plus million that we have. Um, and also the approach. So we are, uh, ETH is still, if you go full ETH, you're still very volatile. Um, you, you don't really have that dampening effect of having some saber assets uh, that aren't really correlated with crypto market. So I think that's definitely something uh, a project that we look at to 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 learn from, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 very interesting. Um, as I mentioned before, it's not a floating asset, but LUSD is also again um, uh, with liquidity is also an interesting project to look at uh, to to learn things from um, as well. There was also Float, I think, uh, before that was another project that uh, that. Uh, try try to do this, but other than that, I don't think there are many projects out there that um, tries to like tries the vision that that we are trying to achieve. Of course, there were a lot of forks uh, over the past years, right, uh, of Olympus, but they 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 never had the 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 same ambitions as we did. I think it was more of a of uh, uh, yeah trying to 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 ride our coattails. But other than that, uh, I I think we're pretty unique in the vision that we're trying to achieve. Yeah, the the forks were were just pure money grabs. I I think people saw the bonding uh, mechanism, and they thought, oh, this prints money. They forked the code, but there was no like deeper like thought process behind like what they were trying to build. It was just we can make a lot of money and build up a big treasury doing this. I think a lot of people thought like the bonding mechanism was almost like magic. Like, oh my gosh, we you know this is financial alchemy. We can <laughs> print money using this. And they found out pretty quick that that's not how it works. <laughs> Unfortunately that's not how it works. Yeah indeed. And it's uh it, it, for us it was also a bit discouraging to see that happening. I think we always had a had a bit of the the long term view. Um for example you mentioned liquidity, right? We we always made sure that there was sufficient liquidity for everyone to to basically get in and get out of Olympus. Um, that that could have cost us, but uh, it has cost us a lot, right? We could have just reduced liquidity and just kept uh, kept kept a large part of the treasury uh, and and built with it. I think because we had this long term vision and we were convinced that this was we were building something that was needed. 
uh, we, we took uh, the, the right uh, path there. But a lot of these projects, I think there's only two around still. Um, a lot of projects have folded. And uh, sadly, also a lot of people have then a bit of a misconception about Olympus because of the forks uh, as well. But we, we try to change that with great podcasts like this as well, for example. In the future, do you guys envision Olympus being the sole reserve asset of like all of crypto uh, and like stable coins? Uh, you know, maybe they'll f- fulfill these like niche uh needs but in general like your is your goal like hey we want to be the like what bitcoin was in 2017 we want to be the sole reserve asset or is it more of a niche use case how do you envision that so i don't think it's going to be the sole um but i but i don't think it's niche either right i think there's a pretty large opportunity space there um like a pretty big opportunity um again like i think stable coins um are great they serve they serve a great purpose um you know, especially for people who otherwise might not have access, um, right, right to um, you know uh, currencies in, in their in their native countries, um, but there are scalability issues as we touched on, right? On the other side, right, like Bitcoin and ETH, right, as your layer one monies are also can serve a purpose as a, a great store of value, um, but in between that, we we see like a massive opportunity space, um, and so. Um, I think what we want to do is provide that like offering that sits in like sits in between, um, and I, I yeah I think that is a huge addressable market. But I don't think it will be the sole right you know crypto native asset out there. Well, uh, kind of getting close to wrapping this up. What's the future hold for Olympus? What are you guys working on? Where is Olympus going from here? Yeah, I think um, so. For example, the lending AMO liquidity AMO products, which we. Uh, I discussed a bit where we can, for example, uh, mint into lending markets and make it easy for people to borrow home or borrow against their home. This is one major step. People can already do this now on, on like Frexland, on Silo, um, and, and so on. So a lot of opportunities there. But we also want to actually broaden that to the more blue chip markets. Uh, the liquidity AMO where we pair with other projects uh, for their liquidity, uh, maybe also for LSDs. I think that's also a major step in the next few uh, months where you'll see a lot of uh, own pools pop up because people will uh, realize that it's more attractive, less uh, impermanent loss, th- those sorts of things. Um, also, as I as I alluded to, really trying to become this gateway into the interesting DeFi opportunities. When we see the uh, the DeFi market um, getting more and more interesting again, I think we already see a bit of uh, little sparks here and there of, of things that are happening uh, that that we are maybe out of the out of the deep of the bear market. But I think for Ohm to be that that key that unlocks all these opportunities, that that's what we want to achieve. And then uh, communicating the, the vision towards the broader public, I think we'll do a lot of efforts there to, to really, as, as we talked about here, uh, sh- um, highlight to people what is the importance of having a, having a DeFi native decentralized uh, currency as well. I think those are the major focus points for the next few months for Olympus. The more you're talking, the more I'm just like realizing Ohm is essentially like a, it's just like a DeFi building block. Like you guys are building the best, it's like a, you know, the best putty, the best wood or like whatever it is, building block uh, that you can to be able to be used in a lot of different ways. And um, it fulfills, you know, it's uh, like you said, it's, it's not volatile. It's not like as rigid as a stable coin, but it's like this weird in between. It's going to allow for all these financial use cases that you know maybe wouldn't be, able, you know, wouldn't be uh, normally able to happen with something like ETH or something like a stable coin. Hundred percent, and and that's also you. You don't think of I invest in the dollars I have in my wallet, right? 
Like you don't say I'm going to now sell my dollars for something else. No, you 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 use your dollars. So in the same sense, you should use your own uh, to unlock these opportunities and to 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 uh, do things with the partners that we have. And because you do that, the, uh, like the the whole system and the whole protocol grows as well. And I think that's a bit of a mind shift, but also a very interesting one to position yourself in that sort of way, which is very much needed uh, in in the current Got landscape. It. All right, last question. If people want to learn more about uh, Olympus and what you guys are up to, where would they go? Um, okay, I'll take this one. Uh, so, so they can go to our website, which is olympusdow.finance. They can go into our Discord. We host every two weeks a community call. We have uh, a Twitter that is uh, quite active, at uh, olympusdow, um, where we also do sometimes um, Twitter spaces with partners. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to to tweet at um, at me, my Vartel uh, at Vartel or or Chala as well on Twitter. Uh, happy to um, answer any further questions that that your listeners might have. Awesome, I love it. As always, people remember investing in crypto is risky. You should always do your own research. Nothing we said here today is investment advice. All ads and sponsors of this episode are simply tools we're letting you know about, but it's up to you to do due diligence on those tools, on crypto, on everything, and ultimately make the decision of if they're the right fit for you. And as always, stay steady, lads.